Did anyone want to uh, say anything about their experience with that uh, exercise? Yes. Right there. Uh, my name is Dan. Hi, Dan. And uh, it was interesting with the four, the other three and myself, because we are all from different, uh, well, three of us were from different uh, self-help groups, mm -hmm. and the other individual was uh, was was not, but dealing with other issues, mm -hmm. and uh, you know it was it was interesting, and yeah. um, and you know we didn't get four of us didn't get too deep into any particular topic. It was pretty generalized, and mm -hmm. and got a I got generally a, a good feeling from each person as to what what they had experienced <laughs> and why why they were uh, coming here. Yeah, well, uh, and you bring up something that one of the things that I really enjoy about <coughs> kind of doing Buddhist recovery groups or that that uh, everybody isn't relating from the same addiction so you get a I feel like I've gotten an education partly from hearing different people from programs that I'm not involved in and maybe you should be involved in but um, and also it kind of sh shifts it a little bit from it's about the substance to being more general, seeing that it's, there's, it's something else. And uh, so, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I hope that's helpful for others. Anything else? Uh, okay, well, I'm gonna have to start calling on people soon. <laughs> so, believe me, I can talk all night, but it gets painful after a while for you, not for me. My name is Les and I'm alcoholic. Hi, Les. Um, I think our group consisted of, it was kind of an, a lopsided group, and it was my, me and my wife versus uh, a youngster uh, <laughs> who was I in see. the group. And I'll tell you something, I, I shared this with him, but it just blows my mind that people can come into the program at such a young age and and come with all the right reasons and, and to put this combination together because for me the combination of Buddhism and the 12 steps and everything it took me, I mean I'm 70 now and I, I was 50 when I came in the program and mm. you know, there were a lot of years there, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, um, I won't call it, they weren't lost years but they sure were fuzzy. <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And I, and I tip my hat to young people who, who at least are getting a solid start. And the other thing, the only other side of that is that we're, I'm in Benicia and, um, and I've taught high school forever and, and worked in recovery. And I'll tell you, the, the pain that the kids that I've known who, you know, I started in 80 up there, so they're getting to be quite a bit older. They're not 70 yet. But um, the main thing is, is that it's so... Uh, I just see people struggling absolutely beyond anything I even had to struggle with. And to be able to get in here from the get-go and to be able to build some kind of foundation is, it, well, it's, 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 i lucky I saved my life, but other people are getting a better shot at it. So mm -hmm. I, I commend the fact that, um, that the tie between, say, Spirit Rock and recovery is, is a strong one. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you talked about a higher power, uh, that's the one thing when I sponsor people that they seemed there seems to be that seems to be such a stumbling block. And and for me, and I was sharing this 
um, with the third member of the group that w the Buddhism thing eliminates the problem for me because it's just like I don't have to. W it just is there. It's my higher power, and yeah. and it's, and it's very comfortable. So thank you very much. Yeah, good. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Les. That's great. So um, time flies. Uh, I don't know what that means really, but it, uh, that is to say. It's, time is short, at least. Um, and there are a few other things I'd like to touch on and then want to go over the homework. Because, uh, you know, you don't want to get a bad grade. Imagine if we got graded on our recovery. Whew. You know, I, t I t teach a class at St. Mary's College in January, their Jan term. I teach a Buddhism class. And it, it is, we, I, I almost grade people on their meditation, which is strange, but I, they, they write every day about their meditation experience, and I can tell from what they say how it's going. So, so it's a, but it's difficult to teach meditation and where you're trying to get people to kind of open up and connect, and at the same time they know that they're going to get a grade. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll just let go. Wait a minute. How much am I going to let go? Anyway, it's, there's a built-in conflict there conflict of interest. Um, but I wanted to draw a few more of the kind of classic parallels between step one and, and Buddhism. You know, as I mentioned, you know, the Buddhism, the, the Buddhist teachings start with the truth of suffering. So the, the classic uh, first teaching that the Buddha gave is the Four Noble Truths. So the first truth is the truth of suffering. Um, and the Buddha talks about these different kinds of suffering, but I think that most simple way to talk about it is that there's this suffering that's kind of inevitable about life. Uh, the sickness, old age, and death, as he says, and, and there's not having what you want and having what you don't want. Um, and then, and there's not much you can do about that. So. In that regard, I think we can say we're powerless over many things in life that are just difficult. Waking up in the morning, for instance. You know. um, waking up in the middle of the night, which I do more and more. But anyway. We, um, and then the second noble truth is kind of the cause of our, what he calls dukkha, this, which is more this what we create ourselves, which we create by essentially being in resistance to the way things are. So it's defined as, as tanha, or thirst, this craving, this, this ceaseless craving. And at a core element of that is the craving to hold on to things, to make things be the way we want them to be, to, to find some lasting satisfaction, which is exactly what we're trying to do as addicts, right? We're, we're in conflict with the way things are. We don't like the way we feel. We don't like the way other people act. We don't like the way the world is. You know, just go down the list. You know? And at the same time, we want to grasp on to some permanent pleasure. And so our, you know, we start on this path of addiction just 
trying to make ourselves feel better, trying to control our consciousness in a sense, you know. Okay, I'm, I'm bored. Give me something to make me feel excited. I'm angry. Give me something to calm down. Uh, you know, I'm uh, whatever. I'm depressed. Give me something to cheer up. I'm sleepy. Give me something to, you know, wake up. I'm, I'm too awake. Give me something to fall asleep. You know, there's this effort to control, right, to establish. And, and that comes directly into conflict with the reality that everything is constantly changing and that we're not in control of it. It doesn't mean that we can't participate in how things change, and that we don't have some role in how things are, but we don't have the final say. And so we create suffering, and then in, in, just in that stance of resistance to the way things are, and then what addiction does, of course, is that it sends us spinning in the opposite direction of where we actually wanted to go. Instead of finding lasting happiness and peace, we find more and more, deeper and deeper, despair and suffering, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. So it, you know, both Buddhism and the 12 steps say that we have to start by accepting the way things are, that things aren't always going to be the way we want them to be, that there's going to be unpleasant things. We're going to have to learn to be with those things, first of all. And that's not the end of the story. Again, you know, it's really important to see that mindfulness starts with acceptance, but it doesn't end with acceptance. There's also right effort. You know, there's also the effort to change. But the starting point is, you know, I'm powerless. I'm, Things are unmanageable. You know, I have to really face the way things are. The Buddha said with the first noble truth, the truth of suffering, that the key is to understand it, to see it clearly. We spend so much time trying to avoid suffering, so many ways that we avoid it. Our personal suffering, the suffering of others. I hate hospitals, you know. I, oh, don't let me see, let those homeless people keep them, uh, you know, not in my backyard. You know, we're not going to have a, a rehab in our neighborhood. You know, we don't want to see suffering. You know? I mean, you know, switch the channel. You know, I'm not watching the news. I mean, sometimes it's overwhelming, right? Sometimes it's wise. You know, our, uh, our media, you know, feed on our uh, perverse uh, pleasure in, in mass suffering and, and you know, throw it at us. And event, it's sometimes just like, oh, where's the sports page? Well, this week that was suffering too. So, <laughs> For those of us in Northern California, at least. So this is that place that we start with that, oh, just stop fighting, to cease fighting, as it says in the big book. Cease struggling. Cease trying to fix it. Cease, you know, and for the certain programs, cease trying to fix you <laughs> and them. And for a lot of us, cease trying to fix ourselves. Just this is how it is. To start there. Until we get to that, there's no real possibility of change because we can't really see what needs to change when we're constantly in a mode of reactivity. You know, that inventory 
comes when once we've actually settled in the you know, the searching and fearless moral inventory comes actually when we've gotten some peace. So when the Buddha offers his program, which we call the Eightfold Path, which is the fourth noble truth, the lists go on and on, and you don't have to memorize them, but you'll, you know, over time you sort of absorb them. One of the ways that this Eightfold Path and this the Buddhist program for freedom, for enlightenment, for letting go. Um, you know, it's got eight elements. They're not, it's not really linear, but there are some, some ways of looking at it as sort of starting points. There are a couple of different ways of looking at a starting point. One of the starting points is called right view. And right view is just this seeing the way things are. And so in the program, we call this a moment of clarity. You know, ah, right, I got it. You know, we've been going along deluded, right? We just sort of had our, you know, well, you know, and trying to hold everything together. And, and suddenly it's like, oh, right. And I just remember so clearly when my, when things, my whole history of addiction unfolded and all of a sudden I saw the previous 20 years completely differently. Oh, that's why things were like that. That's why nothing ever progressed in my life. It didn't, I never saw that. I, uh, so that was, that was right view, a moment of, a moment of clarity. Uh, this is our starting point, and this is our, also our end point. The Buddha says that right view, when it's refined to its most advanced and insightful level, that's enlightenment. So the whole... We begin and end in the same place where it's the whole process of developing right view. Uh, when we come to a meditation class just with the idea like, oh, you know, there must be something more than what our culture offers of, you know, buy a lot of stuff, have a lot of kids, and retire. You know, there must be something more meaningful than that. That's a moment of right view, right? We walk in, oh, well, I don't know what this is, but it seems like something. We're, we just have that little bit. That's all we need to open the door, right? The right, right view. Enough to, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic, but I'll try this program. I don't know if I'm an addict, but things aren't really working. Let me try this. And that's just enough right view to get started. And then over time, our view grows and grows, and our wisdom grows. So right view is, is equated with wisdom. I think that's I think that's enough for now. I, um, I know there's always more, but um, more, more, more. Um, I want to spend a little time with the homework. Uh, so. Um, this is Max over here, an old friend of mine uh, who is helping out and um, taking the class. And he also, when I mentioned about having a meditation buddy or someone to uh, check in with, he was uh, reinforcing that idea and suggesting that uh, I put that out even more. That uh, So I'll say that if, if, if you know someone in the class 
it'd be really helpful if you checked in with each other each day or every couple days. Um, if you uh, have just met somebody who was willing to just do that a couple times this week, just to support you, just to, you know, it's hard to do this alone, as was mentioned before. And, uh, you know, you might also go to a sit another meditation group uh, or go to a, an 11-step meeting, go to a, a meeting where they meditate to reinforce it. Uh, but, you know, if you want to exchange numbers, uh, we're all kind of friends here, I hope. Um, one of the things that uh, my friend Heather Sundberg, uh, my colleague and friend uh, we teach together, uh, we suggest sometimes is 90 sittings in 90 days. <coughs> so you might want to take that on. It's good to have little structures and forms to work with that are familiar. So I, I, I'm suggesting that you try to sit each day this week. If you're a beginner, try 20 minutes. Maybe try 20 minutes twice a day. If you're experienced, maybe if you've been meditating, see if you can you know, up a little bit. As I said, time is so important in this. These are goals, not rules. You won't be punished. If you aren't perfect, progress, not perfection. Um, and I'm suggesting, you know, because we, sometimes you hear meditation instructions and usually when the teacher is giving you meditation instructions, that's, I spend that time spacing out. So I find it really hard to listen to guided meditations. I'm like, oh, whatever, what do you say? Uh, um, so I've written down a very, the basics, keep it simple. Sit down, bring attention into the body and consciously relax. Find the breath, start to notice when the mind wanders, and bring it back to the breath. Rinse, repeat. <laughs> it's really all you got to do. I used to work with this uh, database uh, manager, and, uh, and people would come into him and say, oh, we need this data, you know, and all you got to do is this. And, and after a while, he would, people would leave and be like, all you got to do is, and it was always, you know, three hours to do all you got to do is. But, so all you got to do is come back to the breath, if you can find it. So hints, decide the night before when you're going to sit the next day. So schedule it into your day. If at all possible, set up a dedicated place in your house. Remember the benefits of meditation are largely inconsistency, just like sobriety. There are good days and bad days. Your job is just to show up, not to judge the quality of your sitting. If you can't find the time, just sit for a minute. Don't undermine yourself by using lack of time as an excuse. There's always time to breathe. See, I just meditated. It was great. <laughs> the word discipline is related to the word devotion. A disciple is someone who is devoted to a spiritual teacher or path. Connect with your devotion to meditation and to your path and let that inspire you to sit. If you miss a day or a week or a year, just remember, keep coming back. And then these are, I mean, I know I'm reading this to you, but I've found that that's what I have to do with students because they won't read it on their own. So uh, these are some of the contemplations that I have in my new book that I know you're all waiting for and can't wait to purchase multiple copies. Um, my triggers, what triggers your addiction? Where are you in relation to your addiction? Many years sober, a newcomer, still struggling, wherever you are, explore the inner and outer triggers 
for negative mind states and behaviors. So this doesn't necessarily just mean relapse. It certainly uh, can mean relapse. But uh, one of the things that we learn in our practice when we start to become more mindful is the things that set us off in all kinds of ways. And um, just because you're not drinking and using doesn't mean you're sober. Ooh. Oh, that was harsh. Uh, so how can you work with the triggers? How can you avoid them? How can you let them go? Those are kind of classic questions out of right effort. And number two is living powerlessness. This week, notice all the things you can't control. <laughs> that might just take up your whole week. <laughs> Perhaps use the serenity prayer to deal with these things. And I've written out a non-theistic version of the serenity prayer. May I have the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Try to let go of your struggle to control. And when you get done with that, do the laundry. <laughs> Sounds like you'll probably never get your laundry done. Okay, three, trace back recovery. This is one of my favorite exercises. Reflect on all the positive things you did before entering recovery, the things that helped you to finally make the change. You weren't all bad, and if you got into recovery, you must have done something good. So we tend to do this black and white thing. Well, so once I got sober, everything was good. It was just like uh, uh, Les said. It, they weren't all just wasted years. They were, you know, and, and somehow, if you turned that corner there was some process that arose. You know, the Buddhist principle that all, everything has a cause, that is, the law of karma, means that you didn't get sober magically, despite what some people will tell you. God didn't do it. Sorry. We'll talk later. So this is for step two. Write, contemplate, or share with the trusted person a brief history of your spiritual life and how that has conditioned where you are today spiritually. So the reason I bring this up, and this is mostly for people who really struggle with the idea of higher power, I want you to see how your views about God are conditioned. That, are, that is, they aren't absolute. They aren't absolutes. They aren't founded necessarily in truth, but that they came about because of causes and conditions. This happened to you, that was said to you, you read that, your parents did this, your priest did that, and now you don't believe in anything. So, um, so just look at kind of your development, your spiritual development, and just in terms of sort of understanding what your beliefs are today, because beliefs are constructed. Uh, last thing is faith. Do I believe in my own capacity to recover? Do I believe that the resources I have, like Buddhism, 12-step therapy, yoga, or anything else, will help in this transformation? In what ways am I skeptical, either of my potential for recovery or in the resources for recovery? So this is kind of what step two is about. We came to believe that something could help us to recover, to regain our sanity. And um, what I think is more important than believing in God or something external is believing in, in me. I, I think we, we have less, it's easier sometimes to believe in God than it is to believe in me. So um, look at that. So the suggestion is to read, 
you know, be, be do, have that be part of your practice, reading some 12-step in Buddhist literature. Attend a group if you're part of one. Um, and uh, I'm mentioning if you have time, attend another meditation group. There are many listed on the Spirit Rock website. I will mention right now that tomorrow night I will be back here, same place, different time, 7.30. Friday night, we start later because it's like a party night. Uh, 7.30, whoa. 7.30 to 9.30. Easier the, the traffic at that hour anyway. And uh, it'll be, this is a monthly class that I have, Dharma and Recovery. It just happens to fall, well, it'll fall twice on the day after uh, this class in February and March. Um, so if you feel like you can stand more of this. Uh, come back tomorrow. Uh, there's also a sitting group in Berkeley now on Wednesday nights at a yoga center, Yoga Kula. It's on my website. And then I've got a bunch of uh, reading suggestions. So um, that's just about it. I'm going to let you go in a minute. I know you're looking at your watches and planning to go to the, the quad for, I don't know, I'm just <laughs> hook up with your buddies. So, um, I should mention that when you leave Spirit Rock, you've got to turn right. And if you're going back eastward, Fairfax and east, you go right, then you take the first left and the next left, and you drive right through Woodacre, and it brings you right back out to Sir Francis Drake. It's actually very lovely. You go through the 100-acre wood in there, and, um, but uh, it's illegal to turn left, and so that, that would be your first thing that you'd have to do inventory about when you got home, so don't add to your problems. Um, are there any questions? If anybody needs to talk to me, I'll be here for a little while. Yes? My new book is about higher power. So One Breath at a Time goes through all 12 steps, and it's a little bit more uh, anecdotal. Uh, and this, the newer book, Burning Desire, is about uh, sort of looking at the Dharma or the Buddhist teachings as a higher power and how it would relate to step three and, and the other steps that talk about the 12 steps. It's a little bit more organized and kind of goes through the Buddhist teachings more systematically as well. Um, so let's just take a moment and uh, have a closing. I'm just going to uh, offer you an internal closing prayer. We can do this externally uh, some night when we have more time. Well, both of these traditions point to the importance of sharing and being of service. Uh, the, there's a beautiful Buddhist teaching called Sharing Blessings. So this is an uh, adaptation of that. May all beings receive the blessings of my life. And just reflect on that. May I receive the blessings of my life. May those I love receive the blessings of my life. May those I do not love receive the blessings of my life. 
May all beings receive the blessings of my life. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming, and I hope to see you next week. If you can't make it for one week, keep coming back when you can.